Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hey everyone, happy Friday, and thank you for supporting this podcast by listening to episode 23 of The Revolutionized Mind. Today's conversation is extremely interesting. I learned so much, and I really hope you do too. And I probably shouldn't be saying this in the intro because now you're going to be thinking about it, but I just am going to be honest. I have no clue what happened to the audio of this conversation. I tried my best. There's like random clicking noises. It doesn't sound great. I'm very sorry. And I'm not a technician or whatever. So if you can bear through it, I promise or I hope you will learn something and you will not regret listening. But no, seriously, I do apologize. I am trying my best over here. But regardless, the content is still what matters. And Maddie is amazing. And today she shares her story with religious OCD and anxiety. And she shares where that started from, how I kind of stuck with her through the years, and when she decided to get help and what that help looks like for her. She now runs a very successful Instagram page called Mental Health with Maddie, and she uses her story to help others and help to reduce that stigma. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation today. And again, thank you for listening. So today I'm here with Maddie Ferjuali, who has used her own unique experiences with mental illness to create a powerful and successful platform called Mental Health with Maddie. I am so excited to chat with you today about your journey and to share some more important knowledge with others. So before we dive into your story, would you like to just introduce yourself to our listeners today? For sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Maddie. And like Angelica said, I started Mental Health with Maddie. So I'm 19 years old. And when I was in high school, I struggled a lot with my mental health. And as I went on through high school, I started to kind of get better and learn how to deal with my own problems a little bit more. And that gave me the ability to start a club in high school that was all about mental health awareness. And then once I graduated last year, I couldn't really run the club anymore. So I was looking at what I could do next to spread awareness about mental health. And that's kind of how Mental Health with Maddie started. Amazing. And I know you have an Instagram page, but you also have a website as well. Yes. So I started the website just because I wanted to go across as many platforms as possible. I think I did YouTube a little bit. I'm on TikTok. Um, and then I thought, why not try and just connect all the platforms? And so I put it all together on a website. Amazing. Yes. And I will definitely link all your socials and resources in the description of this episode so people can find you. Amazing. Um, so I guess just diving right into your story, I know that a lot of your trauma came from a young age, uh, which obviously negatively impacted your mental health. So can you talk a bit about your elementary school experience and the types of messages that were preached to you? Yeah, for sure. So I went to a private Catholic elementary school. So if that alone doesn't tell you already that it's going to be a problem, I don't know what will, but... <laughs> I went with one of my really good friends and it started off okay. I was there from grades five to eight. So it started off okay, a couple bumps along the way, but it was fine. As I went through the grade, I had teachers that were just so like 
fundamentalist view on religion. And it wasn't even like it got to a point where they were no longer teaching us religion. They were teaching us like these crazy, crazy, like brainwashing, just unreal kind of beliefs. And it got to a point where I think what really messed it up for me was the fact that I think I was in like grade eight and our teacher, we had this teacher every day. So when somebody is telling you the same thing every day for a year, you're going to start believing it. Like no matter how crazy, no matter how dumb it might be over time, if you tell yourself something enough times, you're going to start to believe it. And that's what happened with me. And because this teacher specifically fully said to us, like, you need to trust me. Your parents are going to tell you I'm lying. Your friends, your family, they're going to tell you I'm wrong. You got to trust me that I'm guiding you on the right path to heaven, which like, what? Like, who says that? Like, who actually says that? And it sounds crazy. But when you're 13 years old, and then go home at night and tell your parents, oh, like, my teacher said this today, and they'd be like, that's pathetic. It proves the point of your teacher. And so it kind of, I think that's what made it so much worse. Because everything that this teacher said, it was like, he was finding ways to in our own lives for it to be proven almost. So it kind of just got us caught in such a narrow-minded headspace that it was just so dangerous. Especially, like you said, like when these messages are being preached to young, impressionable kids who don't know any better. And especially like teachers, like we look up to the people who are teaching us at school. So to hear these messages is definitely damaging. For sure. Was there anything else that like stuck out to you from those experiences that might have been abnormal from other schools? I mean, I have the craziest (laughs) stories. Like when I was in grade eight, one of our teachers taken, we're like 13, 14 years old here. So we're impressionable, but we're not little, right? We had to hold on to a rope to walk through the hallway because we were talking in the halls in between classes and all the other teachers came out of the halls and started laughing at us, which like is just... (laughs) awful like to do to kids they banned water bottles from my class because it was a distraction so I fully I remember there were days I would go like eight hours without drinking water because they were like crazy actually they would time us at our lockers and if you weren't out of your locker within two minutes you had a detention like just the most I remember going to school and being terrified Like our principal would walk in a room and I started crying because I was so scared. And when I was there, I didn't know any different. So I thought like, this is just normal. Like you're supposed to feel this way. But no, like what? It was just crazy. Yeah. And especially when the rules become the be all end all, like you lose from the learning that's actually supposed to be happening at school. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. That definitely does sound traumatic and hard as a kid to go through and like you said it was the only thing you knew and you thought Mm -hmm. was normal so you were there until grade eight so obviously you decided to change um Mm -hmm. how was that transition for you like how did you decide that you wanted to leave or what was going through your head so I changed I don't think I could have switched schools at a better time just because I switched when I was going into grade nine so I was switching I was going to a new high school like it couldn't have gone better for me in the sense that it wasn't as if I was switching at a year where everyone already knew each other. It was grade nine at a high school that a lot of people went in not knowing people. I was lucky enough to know people from my old elementary school. So I went in already having 
a good amount of friends. But it was weird because I went from an environment where you could not make mistakes. And mistakes were like going to your locker and spending an extra two minutes there. Like that was a mistake. That was considered you're a terrible person. So I went from a school with those kinds of beliefs to a school that like I loved my high school. It was a great experience overall. And the teachers were normal. Like they didn't scream at you. I don't think I ever got a detention in high school. Like they just didn't, they didn't get mad unless there was like an actual valid reason. So it threw me off so much because when I got into grade nine, I was like, what is going on? Like I remember one day in school, one of my friends was like, oh, do you want a piece of gum? And I was like, what? You can't have gum. Like, are you crazy? And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, of course you can have gum. And it just, it was those little things that it took me so long to adjust because I was so used to almost being like, I was like in the military. It was so like militant, strict. It was crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I can't completely relate, but I also went to a Catholic school and we had those little like gum differences or wearing hats (laughs) and all those things that like you weren't absolutely not allowed to do in a Catholic school. But the public kids would look at you and be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's a big deal. Yeah. So I definitely have some experience there. Um, But I know like that's where a lot of your anxiety started because you didn't have those strict rules to follow anymore. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just was that more like environment based or like did this have anything to do with school and actual learning or just like the context around it? For me, it had more to do with the context around it because in school, it's funny because my anxiety really never translated to school. I was never somebody that worried about doing well. I was never somebody that got stressed out about my marks because that was always something I just felt like I had under control. That was in my control. Being a good person, making mistakes, those are things that weren't always, I felt totally in my control because, I mean, we all make mistakes and like sometimes you just like something will slip out of your mouth and you're like, oh, probably shouldn't have said that but those are things I took so seriously so that felt like it was so out of my control so my anxiety would like skyrocket around that but with school I knew if I studied I was going to be okay so it was fine and I think this is a good transition into the OCD that you have because this was honestly the first time I've ever heard of it when (laughs) you told me about it so this is very interesting to me um but yeah can you just I guess describe what it's called and what it is so we have a better understanding of this type of illness for sure so when I was 16 years old that's when I finally went to see a therapist about all of this because it just these thoughts and feelings it wasn't going away so she diagnosed me with it's called religious or moral OCD also known as scrupulosity so I think they both it goes hand in hand it's the same OCD and it really was surprising to me just because I always kind of played it off as like oh I'm a perfectionist or like oh I have a guilty conscience because when you tell somebody like oh I'm scared of going to hell people are like what like what are you talking about like that's the dumbest thing ever and so I always played it off as like oh I have conscience so if somebody was like oh why don't you just lie to your parents I'd be like no I'm gonna feel bad after when in reality that feeling bad meant I was gonna be up all night crying thinking I was a terrible person right And I also think when people think of OCD, they think of cleaning and turning light switches on and off and that kind of thing. That's almost like the stereotype, totally a valid type that exists for sure. But there's different types of OCD. So just because you have OCD doesn't mean you're obsessive about cleaning. 
making a mistake, doing something wrong. That means I'm a bad person. If I'm a bad person, I'm going to hell. Also, keep in mind, this teacher described to us what hell was like, because apparently he knows. So he told us all about hell. So we were terrified. Like, we were horrified of going to hell because we were told what you do to get there, what you have to do to be a good person. If you don't, this is what it's like. And it was crazy. So it was like I was stuck in this mindset of reaching that like end goal of going to heaven when in reality that's not like you shouldn't live like that if you want to be religious go for it that's great but you're like you cannot live your life terrified of doing something wrong and that's how I was for years like I was terrified I used to worry something was going to slip out of my mouth like I would wake up in the morning horrified that I was going to say something bad and like you can't do that. Like I would run every sentence before it came out of my mouth. I would run it through my head first and like rehearse it to make sure it was coming out. Okay. Like you can't do that. Right. No, that's very controlling. And it's yeah. like that extreme side of religion that yeah. very few people practice these days. I think it was more common back in the old days, but yeah. not now. <laughs> and thank you for sharing that. I know this is a very personal topic, but mm-hmm. I think it is so fascinating. Um, And just because like, again, these messages are being drilled into you. And I think the moral side of OCD and just, I guess, to help other people understand, it's like that obsession with these thoughts. It's not always those like compulsive actions, like cleaning and tidying and stuff. Mm -hmm. So again, completely valid, but just constantly being consumed by like, if I make a mistake, I'm going to go to hell, like the absolute extreme. And there's no room for growth in between or learning from mistakes because if you make a mistake it's it like that's yeah yeah that's how it was and that's such like a hopeless feeling because it's not oh I made a mistake let me make up for it like there was nothing I tried to make up for it but there was nothing I could do that my anxiety would consider like okay we're good now like Mm -hmm. we're back back to normal We're, we're even the playing field like there was nothing I was able to do that would level it down. So I was doing all of these compulsions and it would bring it down for a little bit and then it would shoot back up again. So the compulsions really just made it so much worse, which is the problem with OCD is people don't realize they'll have these thoughts. So for me, the thought was I did something wrong yesterday. So if I did something wrong, I need to make up for it. So that might be helping my parents out with the dishes, let's say. So the anxiety will go down for a little bit and then it'll shoot back up again. So then I have to do another compulsion and then it shoots back up again. Like it doesn't stop. And I think that's what people don't realize with OCD and that's why it gets so severe. So your compulsions would just be like actions of like making something up and trying to make yourself feel better about you or the mistake that you made. Yeah. It was always about where can I get forgiveness? What can I do to make it better? And it was like constantly overcompensating for it. So I would do like, I remember one day, in grade 10, I forgot to do my homework or I forgot to do one part of my homework for English. And I spent the rest of the day in like full-blown panic mode about it. Like my teacher didn't even know that I didn't do my homework. I was really the only one that knew. And by the end of the day, I was in, when I was in high school, I was really close with one of my other teachers. I was in her office, like literally shaking. And she was like, what's the problem? And I was like, I didn't do my homework. And she's like, you look like something traumatic just happened to you. Like, chill. It's fine. Like, you didn't do your homework. It's going to be okay. Because I think at your old school, you would have been punished for not doing that. Um, Yeah. 
But when you're doing those actions for like forgiveness, are you asking or looking for forgiveness for yourself or like Jesus or God? Like what's going through your mind when you're doing that? For me, it was, I did something wrong. I'm going to hell. Even if it was like the slightest little mistake, it was like, I'm going to hell. And even if it wasn't like guaranteed, like I didn't know for sure I was going to hell because it wasn't in that like little rule book of things they told us, I would just assume. I was like, it's better to assume the worst. So I would assume I'm going to hell. I need to make up for it so that God's not mad at me anymore. Like that is the most toxic mindset you could ever have because it was just so like, I felt like there was nothing I could do that was going to like make it better. Yeah, because then you're constantly living your life in fear and you're not actually living, especially when you have all these like intrusive thoughts that are controlling your everyday life and behaviors. That is very sad. I'm sorry that you did have to go through that. Um, What were some things like in therapy that they helped you with, with the thoughts and the behaviors? I think for me, the biggest thing that I noticed that helped was my therapist had me label the thought. So when these thoughts would come into my head of like, oh my gosh, I did something wrong. The first thing I had to do, and like now I'm trained that if it ever does come in my head, it's like, oh. The first thing I say is like, okay, I'm having the thought that, or like my anxiety is making me think, or my OCD is telling me this. So rather than me thinking like, I'm a bad person, you just change the wording to like, my OCD is telling me I'm a bad person. And it switches it so that the onus isn't on me anymore. It's almost like this is some like outer force or like outer person making me feel this way rather than me convincing myself I'm a bad person, which helps because it's no longer these thoughts don't feel as real when you're able to separate yourself from them. So I found that was like the best thing. And it's something I still use now from day to day. I think that's common for a lot of mental illnesses that you start to believe what your thoughts are telling you. And that could be for depression, anxiety, OCD, or like even more serious illnesses like schizophrenia. And you start to internalize what these things are telling you. And you can't really separate your thoughts from your reality, unfortunately, and they do start to have control. Mm-hmm. So I think that technique there that you learned in therapy with the reframing of the thoughts is super important because you take the onus off of yourself and now you are you and your illness is something outside of you. But also, so I know you started to get involved in your mental health awareness club at high school. Was this before or after you started therapy? This was actually before. So it's kind of ironic because, so I struggled a lot with my mental health when I was in grade nine, but I didn't talk about it. Didn't even see a therapist at the time. I was just talking to one of my teachers at my school. Then in grade 10, I was in a better place. So I started with my friends, the mental health club called Stop the Sigma. Um, So I ran that the whole year. And I mean, it was all about, don't be ashamed if you're struggling, you know, it's okay to talk about mental health. Like that was the message of the club that I was spreading. And then that was the same year I was refusing to see a therapist. And everybody in my life was on my back about like, you need to get help, you need to get help. But I was like, no, like I can't. And I remember one of my friends saying to me, um, don't you run stop the stigma? Like, aren't you the one that tells everyone else it's okay to ask for help? It's okay not to be okay. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. Like I was just so convinced that I couldn't struggle. I was like, no, 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 everyone else can, but I can't because I run Stop the Stigma. So like, I need to have my life together. And I think I just got to a point where I couldn't hold it in anymore. 
Like I just could not keep all of that inside. And so that's when I was like, you know what? And everyone in my life was just not giving me a break when it came to seeing a therapist. So I was like, you know what? I'll go once just so I can say I did it. And then if I don't like it, I was expecting to hate it. So I was like, I'll just go once. I'm not going to like it, but like, at least I can say I tried and then everyone will leave me alone. And I honestly loved it. Like I was planning on becoming a teacher my whole life. That's what I wanted to do. And then it wasn't until I got into therapy when I was 16. That's when I switched and wanted to become a therapist. Otherwise I was set to go into teaching. But as I just got more and more interested in mental health, I was dealing with my own problems. I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm such a fun client. Like I would love to be my therapist right now. This is so fun. So I think that's what helped is just, it was funny in the sense that I'm not someone that's like, oh, everything happens for a reason. But in my personal case, I really do feel like if all of that didn't happen at my elementary school, that school went until grade 12. So I very well would have stayed up until grade 12. So I wouldn't have started Stop the Stigma. I wouldn't have switched to becoming a therapist. I wouldn't have started mental health with Maddie. Like so many things in my life would have been so different if I didn't go through that. So of course it sucked. I hated the fact that it happened and it still affects me today from time to time. But the amount of good that came out of it, I'm grateful for it. Yeah, that's amazing. And you brought up so many incredible points. Um, Did your family know at the time that you were at your elementary school, like what was going on? They did. And my parents thought like they were under the impression that I was coming home from school and I was laughing about a lot of the things this teacher was telling us. So they would just be like, Madison, don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And so in their minds, it didn't look like it was affecting me. So they didn't see anything like they knew it was wrong what I was being taught, but they didn't think it was serious enough that I needed to be pulled from the school immediately. So they figured like, let's just wait until the end of the year and then she can switch schools. And they actually did give me the option in December of that year. They were like, do you want to go back to your old school? And I was like, no, like all my friends are here. I want to stay here. So they were fully aware of what was going on. They went in to go speak to the teachers and the principal. And they were just like, this is the way it is and take it or leave it. So they were fully aware. Um, And they were also really supportive of me and the fact that I wanted to leave the school. They were right behind me in that. Yeah, that's crucial in order to get the help. Yeah, just because you mentioned that like your friends and family were on your back trying to get you into therapy. Um, And I think a lot of the times it does come from other people forcing us in because we don't want to accept it ourselves. Um, And then you mentioned too, like being the leader of this club, it's hard to be that face of this mental health awareness club, whatever you're a part of, and admit that you're actually in therapy, that you're not, you don't actually have it all together, (laughs) but you're trying to act like you do. And I think that's something a lot of people can relate to anybody that has a platform or tries to speak up for like, or advocate for mental health. I think we do all feel like that sometimes. So definitely a relatable feeling there. Yeah. And I'm just good on you for actually getting into therapy. It's not always an easy thing to do. And you were open to trying it. And you said just one time, and it turned into something that you loved, which a lot of people do have that experience. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask, did you like your therapist right away? Or did you end up switching a few times? So this is a little bit of a funny story, but (laughs) the therapist I saw the first time, so when I was 16, immediately I liked her. We clicked. It was great. 
And I saw her for, I think it was like two years. And then last year during COVID, so like timing couldn't have been any better. She, because she was a child psychologist, um, I couldn't see her anymore because I had just turned 18. So she switched me to another therapist that she knew and I did not like her. Like she was a great person, really nice, but like we just didn't connect. And so I was at a point where my therapist that I had literally depended on for two years was on that leave. So she was gone. Didn't like this new therapist. I graduated high school and we were in COVID. So I was just beside myself. Um, and so again, I was like, I'm not leaving therapy. Like, I like this. This is great. So I kind of took it upon myself to find, it was funny because my therapist actually, um, I'm not going to say who, just because I don't want to expose anyone, but (laughs) my therapist is actually somebody that is on TikTok and like, she came up on my for you page and that's how I found her. And that's how it happened. Like, that's the funniest thing. (laughs) the time we live in it's the day and age of social media it's how a lot of people are making their connections that's how I met you so that's awesome I'm happy that you found somebody um and I know that 18 the child switch to the adult psychologist is very tricky for a lot of people um they don't always get referred to the best next person so I know a lot of people struggle with that um, yeah, and I just ask that because a lot of people I know go through like five or six psychologists before they yeah. actually find someone that they like. Yeah. And that's like, I honestly, I think about it from time to time because if that first therapist I saw, if I didn't like her, I probably wouldn't have gone to another one. Yeah. Like I just, I, it was almost like written in the stars. Like I had to get along with that first one because I don't think I would have gone to another session with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I think my parents are so great. They're so supportive, but I don't think they would have understood it fully if I was like, I don't really click with this therapist. They would have been like, what do you mean? Like, just go. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think it would have, I don't think they would have understood it. Yeah. So I just, I don't think it would have worked. But then this time when it was last year that I was switching, I mean, I was 18. So I was kind of able to deal with that a lot on my own rather than getting my parents involved. Like my parents weren't driving me to the sessions I was going myself. Mm-hmm. And my therapist was also really great in the sense that she knew it was a hard switch when she went on that leave. So she would check in on me from time to time. So it was great. Yeah. Like I was so, so, so lucky in that sense. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And I think you also come from an Italian background, so I get that whole parent thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just the whole European perspective on (laughs) therapy, mental health in general, all of it. So yeah. Um, but that's awesome that they have supported you and were there to bring you to sessions before you were able to drive and just yeah. support you on a emotional level as well. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you said in that other question there about everything happening for a reason, I think is like, it's one of my mantras. I love it because although it's hard to like actually convince yourself that when you might be in a bad place, I think everything truly does happen for a reason and we just might not know it yet. So if we're in a hard place and something is happening, it's teaching us something and we just haven't found out what that is yet. Yeah. And everything we do, every decision we make, it sets us up on this path and allows us to, whether it's meeting new people, experiencing new opportunities, it all I think leads to something greater. For sure. Like even, so this year I moved away to university and I mean, COVID happened, so we weren't in person, but we still, I moved away. I was in a condo 
um, and the girls I was living with, we just, we didn't really get along completely. So I ended up moving out and it was through those girls that I was initially living with that I met my best friend now. And like, it was a really hard time when I moved. It was just super stressful, went through a lot, but like I met my best friend and we talk about it all the time. We're like, that was such an awful situation, but I, we're both like, we wouldn't trade it for anything. Like yeah. this just goes to show you some things they do happen for a reason because as terrible of a situation as it was and how it was just a nasty ending, we met and we became best friends. So it was worth it. Yeah. Like you got something out of the situation that is still in your life that is going to be with you for a long time. So whatever you learned from those failed relationships or situations, then you can take and apply in the future. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, I guess wrapping up, with your Mental Health with Maddie platform, what are your goals for the Instagram page or the website? And I know you have merch as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I started the merch a little while ago. Um, I guess my goals are just, I'm really trying because I'm somebody that's very, I like to know things in advance. I like to have a plan. I like to have, be very organized. I'm really trying to not do that with Mental Health with Maddie and just see what happens. So I'm going to keep posting. I'm going to keep doing it. Maybe we'll pick up on YouTube. Maybe I'll stop YouTube. Maybe I'll do more TikTok. Maybe I'll do less Instagram. Like I'm just, I'm seeing where things go. Um, I do have a goal to get to 10,000 followers by the end of the year, but that's something that's just, (laughs) if it happens, fantastic. If it doesn't, that's fine. Like it's not something I'm really trying to like set my heart on because it's just a number. So I'm really trying to just focus on how can I help people in the best way possible. So that's just what I'm doing. Like the goal is really just to help as many people as possible. So as long as I'm doing that, I'm happy. Yeah, that's awesome. And I did want to say on this episode that when I first got connected with you, you were posting something about a Snapchat group uh, (laughs) for the month of May for Mental Health Awareness Month. And you wanted to get anybody else who was interested involved. And you had goals set for every day of the month and we would do a different activity or have a different goal in mind. Um, so I gladly joined that when I saw it and I'm so happy I did because it motivated me to do things that I didn't want to do on some days and allowed me to build a friendship with you and a bunch of other people in that group. So I think what you do is awesome and I know you're helping so many people. So good for you. you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, so a bit broad of questions, but I like to wrap up with this like whole some view um, but if you could go back and tell younger Maddie anything, what would it be? I could tell myself anything. When you sent me these questions in advance, I was thinking, like, I've been thinking about this question <laughs> for maybe two days and I still don't have like a solid answer because honestly, I was thinking about it at work today and I'm like, I feel like I can't say this. Like I should be giving some like really poetic, like insightful answer. But honestly, I'll give like my real answer and then I'll give like an insightful one because I thought of that too. But (laughs) my honest answer would just be to tell myself to calm down. Like I was so worked up and stressed about so many things. I would really just tell myself like, take a breath. You're going to be okay. Like it's all going to work out. You're going to be fine. Just because you're thinking all these things, all these terrible thoughts, it's not true. Like you're going to be okay. Just chill. Like, that's really all I would say. Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, looking back now, I think a lot of our struggles might seem more minuscule than they did in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But again, in that moment, we can't separate what's going on in our head from our actual life. So it comes with experience, it comes with learning. And I think a lot of us now are kind of at that stage where like, it's not that serious. Calm down, brush it off. Like life is short. It's (laughs) all we have. So calm the hell down. That's like, yeah, something I've learned as well. (laughs) that's I feel like through COVID there's so many things that like even my mom will just freak out over I'm like really like chill I'm like it's not that serious yeah like she'll walk in my room I guess this is a mom thing too but she'll walk in my room and I have like clothes everywhere and she's flipping out I'm like relax like there's so many bigger problems in life than this like it's okay we'll be my clothes will get put away soon (laughs) yeah I'm like it'll happen when it happens like just let it be and she's like no I'm like I'm just saying like it's gonna be okay yeah, I love that. But yeah, I think especially through COVID, it was like the most downtime we are ever going to have in our lives. So I yeah. think it was a lot of time for reflection and asking ourselves these questions and I guess reframing our priorities. For sure. Um, and lastly, what advice would you give to anyone who may be struggling with similar issues right now? So I think honestly... If anybody's out there that is struggling specifically with scrupulosity or OCD or anxiety, get help. Like, just please, please, please. I know it's scary. I know you don't want to because I was there, but just try it. Go for one session. Just give it a shot. And again, you might not click with your first therapist and that's okay. Like, you're not going to click just like you don't click with all your friends. You don't click with every single person you meet. You might not click with the first therapist, the first few you meet, and that's okay. But just don't stop until you get the help you need because once you start turning around and really realizing that like you can get better, you're going to be so grateful you did. Like don't give up on yourself. I know that's so cheesy to say, but seriously, like don't give up on yourself because you will not regret it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And going off that, I guess a tip that one of my past guests, Claire, shared in her episode was that especially with the going through the therapist process is that you own your medical files. So any notes that your therapist takes during that first session, if you don't click and you want to go elsewhere, you can ask for that therapist notes and bring that to your new therapist's first session. Because I know how discouraging it can be to retell your story over and over again, trying to click with somebody. So I think that was a very helpful tip and something that I know a lot of people followed up with me that they used and it helped them. So Hopefully I'll share that again and it'll help somebody else. But I think getting help is such a sign of strength and admitting that there's something going on that you want to talk about or work through is such a huge first step that I think everybody should feel proud of themselves for doing. For sure. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I think your story is extremely fascinating, and I'm very sorry you did have to go through all of that trauma. Um, I know you're in a much better place than you were a few years ago, so I'm very happy to see that growth, and especially that you're using your experiences to help other people. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. (laughs) It was fun. Thank you. I really hope you all learned as much from Maddie as I did. Scrupulosity is something that I've never personally heard of, so this was a first for me. And it was just really interesting to hear about those thoughts and the behaviors that she did to cope with those thoughts, and then what she learned in therapy to kind of reframe what was going on in her head to 
separate her thoughts from her reality. I think Maddie is incredible. I love her page. Everybody, please go follow her right now. Check out her website. And I just love seeing people use their experiences to help others, which is exactly what she's doing. And I love sharing these stories on my platform because, I mean, I learned so much. So I really hope that everybody who listened to this today did as well. And I think it just brings another level of awareness to mental health, to mental illness, because these are things, these are topics that we don't often talk about and that a lot of us don't really know exist. So hopefully you gain something from this episode and you can leave here with a new piece of knowledge or a greater insight. Thank you for supporting another episode of The Revolutionized Mind. If you're not already, please follow my Instagram and TikTok and be sure to subscribe to my podcast on all platforms. I hope you have a great weekend and I will be back next Friday.